bringing relevant and engaging insights to human resource and talent development professionals. This is Talent Champions with Diana Thomas, sponsored by Franklin Covey. Here is your host, Diana Thomas. Welcome to another episode of Talent Champions. I'm Diana Thomas, and I'm so honored to be the host of this program and to have the opportunity to interact with some wonderful guests and talk about topics relevant to those in the talent field. Today, our topic is around leadership and letting go. As someone who moved up the ladder, this was an area I personally had to learn. And now as an executive coach, it's something that I see the leaders I coach struggle with at times. We have an expert with us today to help us explore this topic, David Veach. David is the founder and CEO of Leader Sites. He's a teacher, speaker, coach, and author. The mission of his company is to teach leaders how to love, learn, and let go in order to obviate obstacles, accelerate innovation, and elevate performance. He's the author of two books, Leader Sites, Creating Great Leaders Who Create Great Workplaces, and The C4 Process, Four Vital Steps to Better Work. He's also created First Line, a team leader's guide to lean thinking, which is a learning program geared towards first line supervisors. Welcome, David. Hi, Diana. Thanks for having me, man. This I'm very excited. Yeah, me too. Before we get into today's topic, can you share a little bit about your background and what brought you into the field you're in today? Uh, yeah, I have been studying and teaching and coaching uh, leadership and leadership skills for about 30 years. Uh, that all started when I was back in the Army. I spent 20 years in the Army and um, in constant leadership roles or dealing with leaders who have different quirks and different styles. So it's it's been a, a wonderful learning journey through the military. When I retired from the Army in 2001, um, I started teaching at the University of Kentucky. There I taught in the College of Engineering, but we were focused on on lean systems, on systems based on the Toyota production system. Uh, there, in that more intense environment focused on operational excellence, the role of, of leadership really came to the front because Toyota is such a hands-on empowered company where they really expect great things from their employees and, and their employees deliver. So they have fantastic talent, and I spent five years teaching there and studying at, at the plant all of the little intricacies that enable leaders to do the things that they need to do to get out of the way so that their people can actually be more effective. So after, after Kentucky, um, my colleagues and I started a, an international consulting firm. Uh, we built that and ran that for about seven years, uh, half of it in Australia and half of it here in North America. And then, uh, uh, I decided to slow that down a little bit, and I took a teaching job at the Ohio State University, uh, and I taught in the Master of Business Operational Excellence program there. I uh, also taught undergraduate classes in operations and process improvement. I uh, taught in the MBA program, and I've got another course coming up in the College of Engineering up there, uh, which is kind of a capstone program for their Master's of Engineering Management program coming up next year. So I'm uh, very excited about that. Um, through Ohio State, um, had a lot of people that kept coming back and asking for some more stuff. So I actually pared back my uh, teaching schedule there at Ohio State so I could do more coaching and consulting. And that's kind of where I am right now. 
uh, just uh, living the dream, having a good old time and uh, seeing if I can make an impact someplace. Oh, such a great background. As I promised our listeners, you've got so many things to tap into as far as your expertise and so many topics we could explore. But I really liked when we had our first phone conversation, this notion of really helping leaders step up their game and go up to that next level by letting go. So maybe we could start with this issue of why do you think it's so hard sometimes for leaders to let go and lead at a higher level? I think fundamentally it's about, it's about learning. Um, leaders need to be able to be confident that the people that they're going to empower have the skills to actually do the things that their people need to be doing at the right quality level and at the right delivery rate so that it matches the quality that the leader could deliver. But because of the time pressure that most of us find ourselves under, um, and because of the de-emphasis that a lot of companies have on the leader's role of developing people, I think we shortcut that piece. And so a leader will try to give something to someone to do, and it'll fall short of their expectations. And because they're in a time crunch or because they're sure that their own quality would be better than anybody else's, they just kind of take that back on. And the more work that they do in that kind of nature, the more kind of customer value they're trying to create, the less leadership and the less development that they're doing for their people. So it becomes absolutely essential for them to be able to let go, but it's not like you can just let go. There are some structures you have to put in place and there's a lot of hard work you have to do up front to be able to fully let go and really see your people blossom. I know we're going to get into more of the details is how do you get your people to be fully empowered and for you to feel confident? Because it's easy to say to do it, but it's sometimes a little more challenging, you know, to let go. And and I coach my leaders to really, it's changing their perspective of what their role is and what they need to be doing. But one of the things that's come up, especially as more people are working remotely and companies are not doing as well, and maybe there's been some cuts or some threats that they might have to downsize, people are a little more nervous about potentially losing their job and they want to go back to their comfort zone. So, you know, coaching people who grew up in whatever company or in that industry, they have these technical skills that got them to the level of being promoted. And they want to go back to that comfort zone because I want to keep my skills sharp and I want to make sure I have relationships with clients because if I find myself needing a job in the future, I could always go backwards. And, and as I coach my leaders, when you're doing things that are not at the level you should be at, you know, maybe it's lower than your pay grade, or maybe it isn't at more that strategic level, you're taking away time from really leading. The world is it's a little more uncertain, makes it a little harder to, to lead at a higher level. Uh, what are you well, it really seeing? Does. It, increases, it increases everybody's risk, really. Um, if we are worried about uh, losing a job and we have to be seen by our bosses and their bosses as being fully competent and fully capable of doing anything and being invulnerable and all of these things that, that we built these systems to reinforce, those are the exact opposite of what we actually need to do to provide the resources leaders need to develop their people. Now, 
uh, a lot of people talk about this as just a two-way thing. There's a leader and there's the lead. But I look at this as a full organizational um, engagement, right? So every leader is responsible for developing leaders through the organization. And if those leaders are seeing that their subordinate leaders are doing too much of that work, then what are they doing to step in and coach that leader on their ability to build the systems that are going to allow them to let go more effectively? So it's, it's a full spectrum responsibility. It's not just, a, not just a couple of folks here involved. The whole system has to work together to make this work. Yeah, that's very true. And, and it depends on the system and companies because I've coached in organizations where actually the top leaders are the ones saying, oh, don't let go of that tactical stuff because they want their leaders to get involved in everything and be held accountable for everything. I would say the majority of leaders, top leaders, they get it, especially if they've been in other organizations and they're coaching their next levels of leaders to really be strategic. But there are cases where your boss could be the one that's kind of pushing you to stay in more of that tactical role because you do it so well. Earlier, you said, if I can jump in and do it better, I see leaders and people sometimes wanting to do that. And I love how you talk about, you know, you started to say, if you're doing that, you're not developing your people. So um, as a leader, sometimes, you know, your boss will be supportive and help you. And sometimes you have to be that strong leader that says, no, this is the better use of my time. Well, I, I don't think we have really great conversations between leaders and organizations that I think we need to have. Too many leaders don't really promote this um, approachability kind of thing. If, if I've got specific things that I need to understand and I need to do and particular skills that I am interested in developing, then I need to be able to have that conversation with my leaders to let them know up front, here's what my future is. And the senior leader's role is to help them build the highway to get there. Um, so if they can have more of those conversations, then I think those, those senior leaders will start seeing more and more potential in these folks and recognizing that uh, they have to let go of their desire to have this one person do all this particular work because they'll recognize that they're really shortcutting the future. If the only thing we could do to stay competitive in the future is to continuously develop our people and their ability to think, their ability to see and sense problems, their ability to analyze those problems and then come up with some creative solutions. Those are the kinds of skills that leaders throughout the organization need to be developing in their subordinates as we go through the organization. If it's all just about getting work done, then, um, people need to be finding other places to work because that's just a not the kind of place I want to work is an organization that's only focused on getting stuff done. If you're not interested in developing people with the future, uh, you don't have a future. Yeah, it's hard to to really, you know, thrive when you're just focused on just the, the work in front of you. I couldn't agree more. So I love that you said there's three keys to leadership and a thriving workplace and that those are love, learn and let go. Can you explain them a little bit more? Yeah, I characterize these as three critical decisions that leaders have to make every single day. The first decision, and and arguably the most difficult and most important, they're going to have to is that they're going to have to decide that they're going to love the people they're working with and love the work that they're doing. And a lot of people get a little bit squirmy when you 
start talking about love in a business environment. So I want to make sure that everybody understands what I'm talking about. And my definition for this is it's the leader's decision to place the needs of his or her people above their own. And it's as simple as that. So I'm going to do everything I can to make sure I understand the needs of my people. And then I'm going to serve those needs before I go after my own stuff. And that's something that I've got to remind myself to do deliberately every day. So it's a decision we make every single day, regardless how, how, of how other people treat us and react. That's something we're really going to have to do. And what makes this especially challenging is the number of people that are just so hard to love. You know, there's really difficult people in the workplace that doesn't excuse you from having to make this decision. You have to make the decision to love people, even when you just want to put them in a headlock sometimes. Um, but regardless of that return, that leader still has to make the decision. Your needs come above mine. I'm going to do everything I can to satisfy your needs, to make sure you have all the tools, all the resources you need to not just survive, but to really thrive. Once I've done that, once I've decided I'm going to put your needs above my own, then the next most important thing for me to do is to really learn more about you and more about your needs at work and more about how I can best provide the resources you need for that thriving relationship. So it becomes a, a, a task of mine to learn about the work that you're doing, about how you approach that work, about how you solve problems at work, how you innovate at work. And the more I can learn about what you need to succeed and to thrive, then the more I can provide that kind of support and that help. And then once I've learned that, once we've built these systems that allow me to continue to stay in touch with you and uh, stay where I can sense your needs as they change throughout the day, uh, then I can actually let go and let you do the work. It's a process of getting there. So that first decision is love. I'm going to make sure that your needs come before mine. The second is to learn. So I need to constantly learn what's going on in your life. And this is where we get into a little trouble, Diana, uh, because it's really easy to cross this line from staying connected and continuously learning about the things that you need and micromanaging. Mm. And if you've had people ever come up with lists of behaviors, I guarantee micromanagement is at the top of everybody's list, right? So where is that fine line between staying connected and knowing what's going on and micromanaging? And a lot of leaders are really struggling with that. And the line comes when, when the leader starts taking on that work instead of letting their people try it again, or when the leader uh, actually gives too much guidance, I guess, mm -hmm. when you start telling people how to do the things that they're supposed to do, then you're in the micromanaging world. So go and understand what they're doing, understand how they're approaching problems, understand what they need, go and provide what they need, but don't do it for them. Make sure if they try something and they screw it up and it fails, that you help them see what happened, that you help them see how they can learn from that, and then you've got to give them another chance to do it again. Now, if they keep on failing, then you might have to find something else for them to do because we can't afford not to continue to make progress. 
But uh, I mean, that's the essence of learning and letting go. They have to own it. They have to learn from the things that they do, whether positive or negative. And, and leaders have to make sure that they're connected enough to know when things are going south so they can go in and provide resources to help bring them back around. This is really pretty, pretty important to me because I run into so many people who think they are just trying to stay connected, but because they are actively taking a role in doing that work or directing that work instead of seeing how people are responding, they are falling into that micromanagement trap just thinking they're doing their regular job. So a lot of these guys don't even see the negative effect that they're having on their people because of the way that they're leading now. Yeah. And and I think it's even harder for those leaders that were in the roles that they're managing now. So if you moved up in a company, and I think about myself, I started off as a crew person and moved up uh, through McDonald's Corporation. And many times people are moved up because they're really good at the role that they're doing. And then yeah. they learn that next role. And, and that's where when I'm coaching some leaders, it's just they have this way of getting things done that is the most efficient. And when their employees don't always do it like that, they want to jump in and tell them this is the way you should do it. And what we've learned in the last 10, 15 years about neuroscience and how people, when they own their decision and they learn from their own mistakes and redo it, that the new pathways are formed and that they're committed and excited about doing it that way. And when a boss jumps in and does it for them or tells them how to do it, you can see the opposite happen. It's just people get deflated and not yeah. energized. And and that's hard to let go and understand. Happened. It just went out people's sales. And man, and we start doing that to people. They start looking for other places to work. That's that that's so true. So, you know, I also have seen the opposite, and I'm sure you have as well, is people learn, okay, um, I'm promoted to leader. That means I don't have to do any of the tactical stuff. I can just tell you what to do, and I walk away. And if it's not right, it's your problem. But one of the important roles of leadership is you're still accountable. So maybe talk a little bit about is, you know, how should leaders hold their people accountable uh, and continue to challenge them without that micromanaging? In operational excellence, we talk about building visual management systems that clearly show the targets for the work that we're supposed to be doing and our progress towards satisfying those targets so that it's democratic and it's relatively non-threatening unless you really start getting boneheaded about the targets. That's another topic. We have to hold people accountable because people expect to be held accountable because people respond positively by being held accountable. But if my way of holding you accountable is to take the work from you and do it myself, then that's not really accountability. That's a failure of leadership. Um, Our goal as leaders, your most important role is to develop people. One of the most effective things that we can do is um, focus on the work and set these little challenging targets. Right. So I want, I want this word challenge to become something that is extremely positive. A challenge is something I want to overcome, right? It's not, it's not that you're challenging my thinking or you're challenging my abilities because then I get defensive about this. But I want to give you the time to figure out the best way to accomplish that challenge on your own with my support and guidance, right? But I want you to figure out what's the best way to satisfy that or to achieve that challenge 
And then we're going to practice, we're going to practice, and we're going to practice and incrementally improve those skills so that you can consistently meet that challenge, hit that target. But then instead of just, okay, saying, great, you did a great job. You're hitting the target. You're not having any problems. That's wonderful. We'll walk away. Now we've got to say, okay, what's the next target? What's the next challenge? So our ability to understand the skill level that people have, the gifts that they actually have, the preferences they have about particular work, and our ability to structure work that takes the best advantage of those skills and those desires of those people, but still challenges them to learn and think differently and try new things and push their skill level, that is a truly gifted leader who, who can do that. And if we can integrate that into this visual management system where we're keeping track of our progress towards targets and identifying where our particular problems might be and helping each other out, then we can see this continuous flow of, of small steps of improvement with a system that is constantly focused on these, what's the next small step? The system is under stress, but it's a positive and exciting stress instead of a dreadful stress, like if you don't hit this target, we're lopping heads off, things like that. That kind of energy that comes out of that, that organization that's under that kind of intentional stress is phenomenal. And what we see is we will go through periods of these small incremental steps, but they also enable these huge steps because as everybody's skills are being built, we're more likely to see an innovative way to do something. And then we'll see these giant steps of improvement along with these, this continuous steady small step improvement. And it's a beautiful thing to see. And, and I've only seen it in uh, a couple of organizations and it is very hard to get to this level of performance. But man, when you see it, it's like, uh, it's like watching synchronized swimming or something. It's just it's beautiful. I love, as you were describing it, I think you just put together like the blueprint of the ideal leaders. And if we think back, if, for those of us that were really blessed to work with phenomenal leaders, they did all the things that you said, but you really pulled in this whole lean process in a way that I believe is more doable. Because sometimes I've interviewed people that are so focused on lean and lean is about, you know, making those incremental uh, adjustments and processes so that efficiency improves and results, you know, improve and that you meet the targets. But I love the way that you brought in the leadership side because that's the only way it can happen. So setting these realistic but challenging targets that get people motivated and then being that coach or leader that helps to get them there, but still focus on the measurement side. And I really believe leaders are biased. They can have really strong relationship skills, and that's where their you know, passion and forte and expertise is, or they can be so focused on business results, and they get that, and that's what it's pushing them. But to be able to do both is what I think you just described is to be focused on the business, but do it in a way that coaches and motivates your people uh, to make those incremental adjustments and changes and improvements to hit targets and then continue to, you know, challenge them. Um, love the way that you describe that. That's the difference between a whole home organization and, a, and a, an organization that you really want to be a part of. 
Yeah, you think about those are the leaders you want to work with. Those are the companies you want to stay with. So, okay, you just uncovered the secret for for, for all of our uh, audience members. So, let's talk a little bit more about you know what is the role of that leader after you've let go, you've coached your people, and you're motivating all of the things we just described. What becomes the role of the leader then? Well, I call it short interval leadership. So. Uh, it becomes increasingly important for the leader to continuously visit with all the folks that that are doing different things um, and make sure that they have everything that they need to succeed and offer that check. Okay. So you're going to come around. I'm not checking to make sure you're busy. I'm not checking to make sure you're still working. I'm not checking to make sure you're not playing some game on your computer or anything. I'm coming around to check to see if you need any additional help to get your target for today, right? Um, so I'm going to come frequently enough to check in. And, and oddly, I think the work from home and the pandemic has actually improved our skill at doing this because leaders have actually had to schedule time to check in with certain people. So it is a matter of checking on a regular cadence everybody that you're responsible for to make sure that they have what they need and to make sure you understand what the status of the system is so that if your boss asks you what the status is, you can immediately tell them without having to go and dig it out. Like I said, I call it short interval leadership. It puts the leader on a, on a cadence of checking in with everybody that they're responsible for on an ongoing and regular basis. Their job becomes checking the system not necessarily just the people, but checking the system, make sure that the system is working and make sure you've got all the resources you need to succeed. Uh, that is the only way you can effectively let go. You know, Diana, you know, we're all control freaks, right? We have this strong need to feel like we're in control of our workplace and leaders are as human as everybody else. So the leader needs to feel like they're in control, but how do we feel like we're in control and still empower all of our people to act which means we're giving them power to be in control. Uh, and this short interval leadership is the answer to that. With, with, a, with the visual management system that I, I mentioned and the right kind of performance metrics and the right kind of goal setting uh, and the right interval to check with people. You know, if they're learning something, you're going to check more frequently. If they're experts, you can check less frequently, but you still check all the time. More than anything else, it means you can you just can't sit in your office. You can't sit at your desk, right? You've got to go and see. You've got to be out there. You've got to continuously build the relationship with people. You have to continuously learn their abilities and what they need, and you have to continually challenge them to take those next steps. And you can only do that in that relationship, and you can only build that relationship by spending decent quality time with folks. So the in, instead of being in the office working up a report, you should give that report to somebody else to do, and you should go and check on everybody who's doing those different kind of functions. And it'll make your job more fun. It'll make you more accessible as a leader. It'll make you a better human being. It'll make you feel like you're in control, but it also lets them feel like they're in control and everybody wins. Yeah. I think that's the art of leadership is, you know, how do you uh, get your people to feel like they're in control, you know, and empowered? Uh, and when you feel comfortable doing that, it's easier to, to step back. But you know, we've built systems for so long that just condition people to believe that they are not supposed to make suggestions and they can't fix problems. They can't solve problems. 
in many cases, we can't even share problems because I get leaders all the time saying, don't bring me problems, bring me solutions. And that just kind of reinforces that leaders aren't open to helping you solve those problems. It's not their problem. It's your problem. We've got to, we've got to release that. We've got to turn that loose. We've got to get people willing to share problems before we have solutions and solutions before we have problems. Once we get the whole organization thinking like that, then we can have this huge culture shift that's really going to create some dynamic relationships and it's going to change the way we respond to customer requirements, going to change the way we relate to customers. And it's really just going to free up a lot of creative energy in the workplace. But it takes leaders reinforcing that and systems that allow them to share without being afraid. Yeah. You mentioned that, you know, in the current environment and projected for some time, leaders have to be creative and reach out to people virtually because they're not always able to walk down the hall, that people aren't working in the same locations with so much remote working going on. Do you have any other suggestions on how to, you know, connect with your employees when you're not working in the same location? Yeah, my number one recommendation is to have virtual huddles with your team every day. Now, we got to look at what a team is. It doesn't mean that if you're the leader of a Fortune 500 company with you know 70,000 employees that you have to meet with all of them. But you've got a select group of folks, maybe five or six or seven, who are your direct reports. And those are the folks that you are directly responsible for developing their skills. So, you're their team leader. That's your team. Those are the people that you want to be huddling with every single day. So that huddle needs to focus on what is our target for work for today? What do we have to get done today? Do you have everything you need to succeed today? Uh, How did yesterday go? Did you succeed with everything yesterday? What problems did you have? It's like calling the next play in a football game. You call the next play, you run the play, you know what happened, you get immediate feedback on what what happened. So then you're back in the huddle and you say, okay, well, what do we need to adjust based on what just happened? Call the next play and you go on to the next one. That's what the huddle at work is all about. Only instead of the next minute, it's the day. Now then as as a senior leader, you should also insist that everybody on your team goes and does the same thing with their five, six, seven, eight people in their team, and it cascades through the whole organization that way. Then the leaders have to do what I call short interval leadership checking. So that means once the huddle is over, your job's not done, then you've got to start working your schedule that says, I'm going to go see Diane, I'm going to go see Ken, I'm going to go see Bob, I'm going to go see Jan, and I'm going to see Debbie. Each one of your people gets an individual visit. And you're going to go and you're going to make these regular stops on a regular bus route every day. And then you've walked through the workplace virtually by having a conversation with each one of these people. Now, with Zoom and GoToMeeting and Skype and Microsoft Teams, we've got the technology to do all that stuff face-to-face. So we can see the body language. We can see the facial expressions. We can make that eye-to-eye contact that's so important. That way we can empathize and we can really make a difference if we have these face-to-face connections. But I think the more important skill is in making these meaningful and short, because if you're lingering out there too long, you're keeping people from working. We don't want to keep people from doing what they're supposed to do. So as a leader, you've got to go and check. You've got to have a good conversation. You've got to build a relationship. 
smile a lot, make eye contact a lot. Now, I think we've actually done a better job at this individual connection during the pandemic because we've had to individually connect a lot uh, that we haven't had to do before. But what I'm worried about is, is when we return to work, when, when the pandemic is flattened, we've got a vaccine and everybody's going back to, I don't want to say go back to normal because I, I don't want people to go back to normal. I mean, normal is gone. I don't want to lose these gifts that we've been given by having to innovate these new processes for relationship building and these new processes for communicating, these new processes for working. So when we do get back, stick to that schedule of visiting people individually. When we return, we need to return to better instead of returning to normal. Yeah, I love that. Let's, let's return to better than normal and, and take what we've learned. So you've mentioned a few things in regards to developing people and developing teams. Any other ideas in regards to how leaders can best develop the people underneath of them? Often we hear about people, oh yeah, you gotta, you gotta do your planning and, and you gotta tell us your goals for the year. And it becomes this very work-related, very kind of tedious, very check the block kind of kind of thing. Well, we've, we've got to get leaders to focus on these one-on-one coaching sessions where, where they're really focused on developing for the future. And it's really a matter of, of the leader asking questions. So I run into an awful lot of organizations that think a one-on-one coaching session is for the leader to provide feedback to the employee about their performance and things. And that's uh, to me, that's the exact opposite of the purpose of a one-on-one. The purpose of a one-on-one is to let that person being coached do the vast majority of the speaking. The leader shapes that conversation and drives that conversation about being an effective questioner. So if I can ask better questions and take my 10% of the time to ask really good questions and have the person I'm coaching share those answers, now we're in a developmental relationship. Feedback conversations are important but I want to build systems that allow team members to know that every time they do a task or every time they do a job, they get instant feedback from the work itself. So if they screw something up, they're going to know it. I don't have to go around and say, you know, Diane, you screwed this one up. So instead, let's have these one-on-one coaching sessions that are focused on developing for the future. I speak less and listen more. When I speak, I'm typically asking a question. And then I let them think through whatever's on their mind to come up with that answer. And it becomes a much more relationship-oriented developmental conversation. It'll also identify what kind of training that they actually need to go off and get some formal training. We have college resources that we can offer, tuition reimbursement things, or conferences we can send people to that are consistent with their own goals and developmental objectives. If we don't ask those questions, they're going to tell us what they think we want to hear, and we're all going to just kind of lose from that. Maybe as part of our follow-up, we could send out some of the tips in our summary as far as to have those most effective one-on-one sessions, because I love the way that you describe those. And I think about, even from an employee point of view, if you went in with your boss and that was the intent of the boss, instead of telling you what you need to do or what you did wrong, but really inspiring and coaching you and helping you, 
uh, be more empowered, be more confident, you know, have the resources to do your job at a higher level, how much more employees would be engaged, motivated, and excited about doing the things that they need to do. Absolutely. We've talked a little bit about, you know, building these relationships and, and working remotely. One of the challenges I'm hearing more and more from the leaders that I'm coaching, and these are leaders that are in some pretty high up level positions, they've prided themselves with keeping a rapport with many people in the organizations. And you just described the best way to put systems in place and to work through your leaders and stay close with them and have those leaders stay close with their people. But do you have any advice or tips for leaders who want to interact, you know, several levels down or stay visible, uh, stay connected when the numbers really start to rise. That, that seems to be a bigger challenge for leaders. It really is. We end up doing things like having town halls, uh, but these seem to be devised to maximize the available time of the leader. So it's really all about the leader. And as long as we're focused on all about the leader, we're not focusing on developing people. So the question is, are there other ways that leaders can communicate all the things that you would normally communicate in a town hall? And yeah, of course there are. You can record a video message and let people watch it whenever you want. You can have a whole library of these video messages, but there's only one real way to build the relationships that you're talking about wanting to build. uh, And that is to go and see people. You've got to go out and be seen in the workplace where they're creating value and where they're doing the great things for your company, where they're really showing the face of your company to the customers. You can't hit everybody all the time. So you've got to make a plan and make that plan work by focusing on individual contact as much as you can. And when you can't really go to that individual level, focus on meeting small groups of people. One great way to do this is to visit team huddles. Go out maybe two or three levels down in the organization and just observe them doing their huddles. You can have your whole leadership team do this. Then have a couple of words with the the key leaders after the huddle. But remember, don't be disruptive. Uh, You're not there to coach at that level. You coach one layer down and observe lower than that. But just be positive and encouraging. Lift people up out there. Go out and touch people's lives the way that only you can. Just keep this in mind. If it's something that's going to bring more attention to you as an individual leader, then it's probably not the right thing. It's got to bring the attention to the folks who are doing the work, who are doing the great things and representing the company. Give them the credit, put their needs first, and I guarantee you they'll lift you too. Don't underestimate the power of doing a video and sending it out, but make that video less about you and more about the people you want to connect with. So I, I love that idea because sometimes it's it's efficient to do that for the leader, uh, but I like the parameters you put around that or visiting other teams uh, when they're meeting. And like you said, don't do it in a distracting way. That's something as a leader, I used to love to go in and listen You know, for my design group, what they were doing, but I had to keep reminding myself, keep your mouth shut, you know, because if you speak, you'll take over. Or it'll be perceived as, as direction. Yeah. And in, in a lot of organizations, people aren't expecting to see you out there. I mean, the, the typical response is, oh my God, the boss is here. What did we screw up? What, what, what is he doing here? Um, so it's going to take a little time before it's not unusual for those senior leaders to be seen in the workplace without causing a panic. But once people get used to seeing you out there, people are actually going to start to share with you. They're going to tell you 
what's really going on instead of trying to hide problems or, or just telling you what they think you want to hear. Now, this is going to take some discipline and some practice and a lot of planning on your part, but you've got to do this. I mean, you have to get out there. You have to go and see. I really think that's the most remarkable way to drive change in an organization, this personal contact, this being out there, this being seen. And that's going to drive a change in the way leaders think about the work that they have to do. Instead of sitting in their office and doing things, they're out where the work is happening and interacting and building skills with people. Yeah, no, that's a great perspective. The other thing is recently I was reading some information talking about how employees are getting a little saturated with Zoom. There's so many Zoom meetings, Zoom meetings, Zoom meetings. And so, you know, how else can you connect? I was talking to a leader who said once a week they're just eating lunch with whoever wants to. So it's not a a meeting. It's just, here, I'm eating lunch at my desk. My Zoom is on. If you want to jump in and eat with me and we can talk about whatever. Or the other things I was talking to a few leaders about is, you know, join the Zoom meetings a little early because it gives you a chance to connect informally like you would when you walk into a meeting, you know, an in-person meeting or stay a few yeah, minutes a later. One. So um, or even like you said, you know, it's just reaching out small, really quick bites. You could you could text five to 10 employees a day. Just, hey, I just want to check in and see how you're doing. You know, that would be. Yeah. You know, unexpected if two levels up, somebody reached out to you just to say, hey, how's it going? Or the other thing, I heard you did a great job on this from your boss. Imagine how that employee would feel if the boss's boss did that. And we have so many more tools now uh, for that. I mean, Slack and instant messengers, they're great little tools that I can reach out directly to you and say, hey, Dinah, I heard you did this yesterday. That was fantastic. Thanks a lot. And what, what kind of an impact would something like that have on, on your performance for that day? Wouldn't it make you feel great? No, I think those are great, great suggestions. And keeping in mind about really helping the employee feel supported, coached, and, and guided in a way that empowers them. If we can figure out ways to keep doing that and energizing them along the way, I think, as we've said earlier, that's the ticket to really being a great leader in creating great systems in great organizations. That's right. And, and the word the word I use is love. You yep. just got to love them. Yep. I love that. Yeah. That's a, like you said, it's, it's a change. It's, if you can reframe the word love around how do you really make your people feel appreciated, heard, um, learn as much as you can about them. And, and you mentioned earlier, too, like the hidden talents. Some of our employees have wonderful gifts that we don't even know about. And once we learn about them, they feel validated and excited. And then they start showing up using those gifts at a higher level. Exactly right. And, and if you're not out there talking to them, you're never going to know that. Yeah. Awesome. Who has had the greatest impact on you personally and professionally? And why wouldn't you be where you are today without that person's influence? Does somebody come to mind? I tell a story about one leader I had um, when I was in the Army. Uh, I finished up the Infantry Officers Advanced Course and was assigned to Germany. And I just got married, so I was a brand new husband. Um, my wife was an Army brat, so she'd been used to these things. I'd only been in the Army for like three years, uh, so I'm still learning all these wonderful things. And I get a job in Germany as the, uh, the brigade training officer. It was 1st Brigade, 8th Infantry Division. 
Uh, I was the brigade training officer and I worked for the brigade operations officer. I was a captain. He was a major. And I was responsible for writing the brigade commander's training guidance. So we needed to create a document for annual training guidance and quarterly training guidance. And that was my job to produce that. And my boss, the operations officer, um, he had done this stuff before. Uh, he had been around for a long time. And I would write the first draft of the training guidance and send it over to him for review. He would just bleed all over. It was just rip it to shreds and it was just horrible and he would come bring it back over to my office he wouldn't say come and get this piece of crap and redo it he would bring it to my office and instead of just saying here rework it he would sit down and go over it i got to the point where you know i was i was young and i was like just give me the document let me fix the document i hate the lecture right just give me the spanking and leave me alone rather than say you should do this he would say well consider this or consider this or consider this. And he made me make those decisions. And so I would revise it every time it was, it was three or four iterations before we would get things finished to the point. And again, as the, as the recipient of all this lecturing and attention, it was driving me nuts, right? I hated working for this guy, but then we'd be finished with it. And he'd take it down to the boss and present it to the brigade commander like it was my first draft and he had nothing to do with it. So the brigade commander would come down and he would tell me what a wonderful job I'd done. Once I figured out what my immediate boss was doing with me, spending all that time with me, all those lectures. But uh, once I figured out what he was doing, I just doubled my efforts because my job then was to make sure that he looked like a million dollars to everybody else in the organization. So whatever I could do to make him shine, I worked my tail off to make that happen. He never asked me to do that. He never said anything about it. He was still a pretty task masker oriented guy. A lot of people didn't like him, but man, the time he took to develop my skills and that, that first part developed these habits in me of thinking through the things that I was working. And that one experience, that one relationship probably did more for my effectiveness as a leader and an officer than any other single person. And uh, like I said, I hated working for him when I was working for him. And it wasn't until afterwards that I got to look back and say, you know, that's the exact kind of leader that we all need to be developing because the lasting impacts of having a hundred people wanting to make that leader look like a million bucks, the leader doesn't have to do much at all, except provide the resources, except provide the encouragement, except challenge people and correct them when they're a little bit off. So that, that would be the one thing that probably had the biggest impact. Yeah. But I love the components of your story as far as really that leader built the relationship with you that you got really critical feedback. And you think about the feedback of when you're writing things, whether it's manuals or memos or whatever, uh, to really come across as the the right voice and to connect with the audience and tell the audience what you want. All of those things that it'd be so easy for him to 
you know, just let it go by or, you know, tell you to change it, but not give you the experience of understanding the the whys, you know, the whys behind some of those decisions. And I think that's what great leaders do. And it sounds like based on how you've evolved as a leader and what you're training and teaching, you're teaching people to do this in an even more motivating, engaging way. Well, I've had plenty of uh, of leaders who served as bad examples too. And I've had plenty of screw ups myself. I think that that's true. I, I think I've learned more from my bad leaders than my good leaders because I'm like, I'd never do that to anybody, you know? So what what final piece of advice do you have for our talent champions? This is hard. Uh, be ready for it to be hard. Be ready for it to be difficult. Be ready for it to challenge your patience and your skill level. Um, but if you're going to commit to this, you've got to commit to it. Um, and it's going to require practice. Uh, but if you make a plan uh, to go and see, make a plan to build those relationships, make a plan and remind yourself every day that I'm going to love my people, I'm going to learn what they do, and I'm going to let them do it. You might want to surround yourself with other folks who can can help you get through this, especially if you've got a couple of folks on your team who are more difficult kinds of people. And you know, we've got these difficult kinds of people all over the place. I don't want to give you the impression that building a great leader is an easy thing to do because it's not. It takes time and energy and focus and heartbreak and elation. It takes the whole spectrum. Um, Just be ready for it, but do it. Don't be afraid to do it. I love that, you know, truly connecting with your employees. And we've done some other episodes about being a servant leader and putting your people's needs above yours, what you defined as, you know, really love them. But I like the piece that you continually go back to. It's about coaching and developing them to achieve more for the organization. And that's what great leaders do because they create awesome organizations that thrive and stay around from years to years. So you have shared so many inspirational things and great advice. I know our audience will benefit from. How can our listeners get in touch with you and continue to learn from you? Well, you can always visit my website. It's uh, leadersites.com. I will also build a landing page for your listeners, Diana. They can go and download a free copy of the C4 book that you mentioned in the introduction. Um, I would encourage them all then to, to go to Amazon and buy the Leader Sites book uh, and enjoy that. And uh, feel free to send me an email. You can contact me through the website or you can just send me an email, david.beach at leadersites.com. And again, go to the website, download the free stuff, ask any questions. I'd love to hear from your listeners. Great. And I'm assuming you're on LinkedIn as well. Many of our listeners connect to our guests through LinkedIn. Please do. Yes. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking the time and sharing your experience and expertise. It's been uh, such a pleasure interacting with you. Well, thank you very much for having me on, Diana. I've I've really enjoyed this. I love talking to people who are as passionate about leadership development as I am. So thank you for having me on. Here's a summary of today's episode. As a leader, you can't control everything. In fact, it's your job to empower your team to do the things at the level of quality you could deliver if you did it yourself. This is an area that many leaders struggle to navigate, particularly when they've moved from a doing role into a leading role. While letting go as a leader 
can feel like an individual issue, it requires systematic support in order to succeed. If you're in the position of leading leaders, it becomes your responsibility to ensure the leaders below you aren't getting stuck in the weeds. The ability to sense problems and come up with creative solutions is what leaders throughout the organization need to be doing to develop their subordinates. Doing so moves beyond getting the work done to ensure that both the individuals and the company have a bright future. David's three keys to a thriving workplace are love, learn, and let go. Love the people you're working with and the work you're doing in such a way that you place the needs of your people above your own. Learn about your people, who they are, the work they're doing, so that you can provide the right kind of support. And let go. Let go and let people get their work done their way. There's a fine line between supporting people staying connected, and micromanaging. When you give too much guidance on how to do something, you're crossing that. You have to let people find their own way to solve problems and also help them learn from their mistakes. When they mess up, give them a chance to try again. People generally respond positively to being held accountable when targets are clear. Setting challenges for your team to work through and overcome helps to continuously develop their skills. When they hit the target, celebrate the win and move to the next challenge. Short-term interval leadership is where you check in to make sure your people have what they need to succeed. It's not about making sure they're on task, but instead that they're supported. If you're not working in the office, you can do it virtually. The important thing is to stay on a regular cadence with all of the people you're responsible for leading. Your job becomes continually checking in on the system to make sure it's working. When interacting with people one-on-one, focus on asking good questions and letting the person you're coaching do the majority of the talking. It's less about providing feedback that they already are getting from the system and more about making sure they're being developed for the future. Eventually, you'll get to the point where the number of people you're leading grows and you need to communicate on a broader scale. You can't hit everybody every time, but you can make a plan that focuses on individual contacts and smaller groups of people. You can observe their team meetings. And when you hold a town hall, put the attention on the people doing the work and give them credit where it's due. As you lift them up, they'll lift you up too. If you're sending out a video message, make it less about you and more about the people you're connecting with. Come back next month to hear our next episode where we'll continue to explore relevant talent topics. In the meantime, visit our website, talent-champions.com, to subscribe to our email list and make sure that you don't miss the bonus information from our guest. Thanks for listening to Talent Champions with Diana Thomas. Be sure to check out the full Franklin Covey Podcast Network by searching Franklin Covey on your favorite podcast provider.